Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Monday. It's August 14th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We will have a four-pack of Arizona Diamondbacks tickets later on in this program. We'll also pop on out to the KDOS hotline will be joined by Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette who's set to join us around 10:15 to chat all things Pittsburgh Steelers but as we typically do let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question in regards to those Steelers you guessed it the win total over under eight and a half wins for the Steelers and the masses are now on the overside of things at 67 percent of the vote under trailing at 33 percent all right. The Steelers have not finished below 500 in the Mike Tomlin era. That's 16 seasons now. However, they're just 3-7 and seven in their last 10 playoff games. And they haven't won a playoff game since January of 2017. And they, for a little more, one more thing here, haven't they failed to reach the playoffs in three of the last five seasons. So there's certainly been a decline of success as far as once they get to the postseason. Uh, but uh, or if they actually do get to the postseason, as I mentioned with some of those numbers, but uh, it's kind of where we stand, but still uh, no under 500 seasons with Mike Tomlin and uh, it's a 17 game season now. So I don't know if we need to get a tie in there and see how this goes, but uh, you know, you can all do the math, eight and a half wins in a 17 game season is kind of where we stand right now as far as the uh, consensus win total. Uh, when it comes to the Twitter poll question at KDOS AM 1060, Bob had a great conversation with George Brember of the Herald Bulletin. If you missed it, you can podcast it over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app. Over under six and a half wins for the Indianapolis Colts and under leading the way here at 75% of the vote, over trailing at 25%. You got some new and some not so new. Another new starting quarterback in Indianapolis. That's been that case, the case every year since Andrew Luck's retirement. Uh, there's a new first year head coach with Stan Steichen. Uh, but the one thing, the thing that is new is the running back. Whatever is going on there uh, between ownership, management, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, you know, Steichen, Shane Steichen said yesterday that Taylor should return to camp this week, which seems to be a very vague comment, as we found out from George in the last hour. They actually have joint practices this week against the Bears on Thursday and Friday, so don't know if he'll be back for that. I mean, he's been, there's questions of, you know, you know what's the actual injury? Is this the injury from last year? Is there an injury? Is this a contract, you know, you know, hold in and so to speak? And yeah, uh, it, it's a, it's a, I think a, a festival of mystery. Let's go. I'm going to throw that term out there, which I just made up and makes hopefully some sense. 
Uh, mystery is always, you know, mysterious. Uh, at KDOS AM 1060 on Twitter, we will answer it around 1130. Your calls today, 1030 and 1115, 602, 260, 1060. We'll dive into the Arizona Cardinals in preseason game number one to start our number two. We'll get an Aaron Decker report plus our observations from the game as well. Let's kick this off, though, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And before we get into the games, let's start about uh, designated for assignment. That would be one Carson Kelly. He was part of the Paul Goldschmidt trade along with Luke Weaver, Andrew Young, and Dominic Fletcher. Kelly had a phenomenal 2019 season. He had 18 home runs, 47 RBIs that year. And then after that, it was kind of riddled with various different injuries and a lot of struggles at the plate. That's true. Even that first year, he was really uh, struggled against right-handed pitchers and it's, uh, you know, I'm actually really surprised that this is ported. You know, I'm not surprised that there was a parting of the ways yesterday, but just the whole, you know, five seasons, he had 244, 44 home runs, 153 runs batted in. And, you know, they have nothing to show now for the, uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt trade, which was, you know, five years ago in December. Uh, they got uh, Kelly. Luke Weaver, who was really good, especially that first year, he was actually likely headed to the All-Star game. He was uh, you know, tremendous in the first uh, part of that season. He got injured. I believe it was in San Francisco and really was never the same for the Diamondbacks. He's now in the member of, he's a member of this red starting rotation. He has an extremely high earned run average and it's amazing how the Reds have won a large majority of his starts. Uh, and so forth. And uh, also Andrew Young, infielder, was part of that trade. He was here for a while here and there. But uh, those guys are all gone now. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess it's easy to say now that they didn't get enough for Goldschmidt in return. But quite frankly, uh, at the time, it seemed like that they got a nice haul. Kelly's considered the top catching prospect in baseball. At that time, he was buried behind Yachty Molina. It wasn't going to play anytime soon in uh, St. Louis. He wouldn't actually played until this year, as it turns out, in St. Louis after Molina didn't retire until after last year. Uh, and you know, you know, and really, yeah, you know, Weaver had I guess some good, you know, at least one really good season in St. Louis. So that was considered to be an interesting deal. And the Andrew Young, it was just kind of a throw-in, quite frankly, but. It seemed like it was a good return at the time for an organizational player like Goldschmidt that you knew you had to trade because there was zero chance he was going to re-sign as a free agent the following season. Were you surprised that Luke Weaver didn't work out to the level of expectations that were surrounding him? I'm just going to go back to that injury. I mean, he was dominating, and he was going to be in the All-Star game. Uh, a legitimate All-Star player as opposed to a player on a bad team like, you know, the Tigers and, you know, the Rockies or whoever had to take somebody has, you know, they have this ridiculous rule still that everybody, every team has to be represented. He wasn't going to make the all-star team because he was going to be the one diamondback that quote had to be represented. He was pitching at an all-star level and uh, was never the same after that. And yeah, as I mentioned, he has an earned run average. I believe it's still above seven. Uh, it's uh, for pitching for the Reds rotation, which is, you know, that's obviously their team weakness this year. Uh, it's amazing how many games they have won because he has not been effective in very many of his starts. 
As for the Diamondbacks on the diamond here, Friday it was a 10-5 loss to the Padres. Ryan Nelson got the start, three innings, seven hits, six runs, one walk, two strikeouts, and two home runs. And then things turned around here. They snapped a nine-game losing streak Saturday with a 3-0 win over the Padres. It was a Zach Gallen start, six innings, four hits, no runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts. And then Sunday was a 5-4 win over the Padres. Brandon Fott got the start, five and two-thirds, nine hits, three runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. Ariel tied it up in the seventh. Thomas hit the sacrifice RBI in the eighth. And Seawald got the save in the ninth. Yeah, I'm not taking much out of this weekend. They beat the Padres in the series. Whoop-de-doo. Uh, you know, the Padres are, I don't understand, you know, you know, mainly the metrics people. They don't watch games, apparently. They just look at these numbers. They have this plus run differential and, you know, they lose these close games. Well, there's a reason that they lose these close games because they lack attention to detail and they're just not a good team. Just watch them play. They're not good. Uh, they've lost six out of seven now, the Padres, and uh, they've scored a total of 14 runs in the six losses in that seven-game stretch. And so I'm a little mystified why you know, people keep saying, and I even heard it yesterday on ESPN again, that they're a dangerous team if they get in the playoffs. Well, you know, you got to get over 500 at some point to be a playoff team, unless maybe you're in the AL Central. So the, that's the deal there. But, uh, but the the most meaningful thing that happened to me for the weekend, for the Diamondbacks' perspective, is that Ryan Nelson was bad again. He's actually been pretty good on the road. He has been absolutely awful at home. And after he was uh, you know, hit hard again on Friday night, they sent him back to AAA yesterday over the weekend. And uh, uh, they brought up Bryce Jarvis, who was their first-round pick in the uh, 2020 draft. And uh, they're going to you know, give him a try, but he's going to be pitching apparently out of the bullpen. Looks like the Diamondbacks are going to have a, you know, a couple of bullpen games this week. Depending on what happens with Kyle Davies, who's actually in Reno in a rehab assignment right now, and uh, I believe it's tomorrow night he's supposed to pitch again in his next rehab assignment. Maybe he'll pitch by the end of the week. But it looks like at least in Colorado for two of the three games there, they're going to have you know, two bullpen games. Uh, the Diamondbacks are in Colorado tonight facing on the facing the Rockies 5.40 p.m. first pitch. When you look at things going on in the National League here, the Braves continue to lead the way at 75 and 42. The Dodgers 71 and 46 and the Brewers at 65 and 54 solidifying those wild card spots as of now. The Phillies at 65 and 54, the Giants 63 and 55 and the Marlins 62 and 57 on the outside looking in unchanged from uh, uh, Friday to this weekend, the Cubs a half game back, the Reds a half game back, and the Diamondbacks two and a half games back. Yeah, let's just kind of talk about the Dodgers and the and the Brewers here. Um, you know, the Dodgers have won, I believe it's fourteen out of fifteen or thirteen out of fourteen, some insane thing. Nine out of ten. You know, Urias, uh, as I mentioned during the Sports Zone, he's had four consecutive starts, not against the greatest opponents, including the Diamondbacks, uh, but he's. Been dominant here lately. He struck out 12 Rockies yesterday in Los Angeles. He's also been really good in Los Angeles, but uh, for the season for the most part. But uh, that's important for them. They've now, you know, seemingly, uh, you know, they're 25 games above 500 now. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're actually threatening the Braves uh, to have the best record in the National League, which I don't think anybody would have thought a while ago. They're only four games behind the loss column for the Braves. 
The Braves actually haven't played that great, uh, at least by their standards, since the All-Star break. They've you know, got a, a barely a winning record, if I'm not mistaken, since that time. The Brewers are the team that's kind of gotten it together here, but now they go to Dodger Stadium and face the Dodgers this next series. The Brewers have won 7 out of 10 now. Their starting pitching is really good. Freddie Peralta had another really good start yesterday. He's had a series of really good starts here lately. And it seems like the Brewers have five starting pitchers that are at least give you a good chance to win. The first three guys are all very good with Woodruff now back. And he looks like he's back from injury. We knew that. But it looks like he's now you know, healthy and effective back from the injury. Yeah, he he was out. He got injured in the first start of the season, and he didn't come back to like a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if he's healthy, uh, the Brewers not only would be, uh, I think, the favorite to win this division, I think they would be formidable in the postseason. Let me at least say this. They, they have problems scoring runs, but that pitching staff, not just those starters, but their bullpen would be a team that you that that's the team that you don't want to face in the postseason, uh, as opposed to the you know the garbage Padres. Uh, I think the the Brewers would be a if, if pitching wins in the playoffs, the Brewers might have the best pitching staff in the National League heading into the playoffs, based on what they now have healthy and effective starters and bullpen. Monday, August 21st, the Diamondbacks are taking on the Texas Rangers, and it happens to be ASU night. Fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and a co-branded ASU Diamondbacks t-shirt. Visit dbacks.com slash ASU to secure your tickets now. We'll also have a four-pack of tickets to be given away later on today. But we step aside now, making room for Ray Fittipaldo with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, talking all things Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll do that next here on KDOS AM 1060 in The Extra Point. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Monday. It is August 14th and we continue our NFL previews in The Extra Point this week. It is the AFC North. So let's pop on out to the KDOS hotline joined by Ray Fittipaldo with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, as always, appreciate the time on the show. It's Bob and Kayla. How are you? Absolutely. Good to be with you guys. And, uh, yeah, football season is almost upon us. Right. Uh, the juices are flowing. The feelings are there. And uh, let's, I guess, talk some offensive football. Uh, the offensive side of the ball for the Pittsburgh Steelers, specifically with offensive coordinator Matt Canada, there was a lot of heat on him last year. Mike Tomlin made the decision to stick with him. So what has been this theme toward improving the offense this year, getting some more chunk plays, and what is the overall confidence surrounding Canada at offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think with Kenny Pickett going into year two, um, of course, he was a rookie last season, took over the starting job um, five games into the season. I think there's some cautious optimism that things are going to be better this year. They were among the lowest scoring teams in the NFL last season, around 18 points per game. But 
Um, you know, one of the focuses of training camp has been pushing the ball down the field more. We saw that Friday night in the opener, preseason opener against the Bucks. Calvin Austin had a 67-yard touchdown catch, so um, they want to utilize him more this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think it all goes back to Kenny Pickett having more ownership of this offense, being able to audible more than he did last year, getting the team into the right play. I think, you know, I, I think it's it's a, it's an expectation that those things will happen, and I think they can get up to, you know, maybe more middle-of-the-pack scoring-wise. I don't think they're going to be a prolific offensive football team this year, but I do think they have a chance to be better than what they were last year. Okay, a little more on Pickett. In his rookie season, he had 12 touchdown passes. That's not very many, obviously. But they did win four of his last six starts. He only had one interception in the last eight games. What are you specifically expecting from Pickett this season? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you look at his body of work last year. They really did win um, seven of their final nine last year because of the defense and a strong running game. They really didn't put too much on Kenny Pickett's plate. Uh, I think you are going to see more on his plate this year. Um, Kenny talked last week about having ownership of this offense. So, um, you know, is it going to be like it was with Ben Roethlisberger when he was basically out there calling the plays himself? No. I mean, this is still going to be Matt Canada's offense, but I just think there's a comfort level with Kenny Pickett this year um, about changing plays at the line of scrimmage, um, you know, maybe suggesting things to his offensive coordinator more so than he did last year. I just think it's it's a natural thing to expect in year two. Now you want to, you know, project numbers. I mean, I don't know. I, I think 20 touchdowns is realistic this year. You know, you keep the interceptions down, maybe 10 or 12 interceptions. And I do think he can maybe throw for 3,000 yards. So, I know that's not Patrick Mahomes-like or Justin Herbert-like, but for the way the Steelers want to play football, I think if he does that, they could be a winning football team. Ray Fittipaldo, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. I want to stay in that offensive set with the wide receiver room, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. We saw some incredible catches from Pickens last year. Are they poised to have a huge year? Also, the team brought in Allen Robinson. Has that maybe provided a level of veteran presence to the room? And more importantly, does Robinson still have something left on the football field? Yeah, Robinson's been really good in training camp. Uh, they ran the two-minute drill yesterday to end practice. He had a diving catch in the end zone. And uh, just beyond that, he's had a you know, really good chemistry um, with Pickett here in the early going. So I think that's nothing but a positive. When you look at Deontay Johnson last year, zero touchdowns, but he still had a lot of catches. I, I think he can get back to where he's going to score five, six, seven touchdowns. The X factor to me, <clears throat> excuse me, is the development of George Pickett. Um, four touchdowns as a rookie, 800 yards. I really think if he can be a deep threat again this year, he could be over 1,000 yards, could have eight touchdowns. He could develop into that number one receiver that the team really has been missing for the last couple of years. Okay, the offensive line. Uh, they spent money via free agency before last season. They've added in the draft. How good can that group be in 2023? Well, they were middle of the pack and running last year, and uh, they were kind of the same in pass protection, probably 
Kenny Pickett, Pickett was probably sacked more than they wanted to have him be sacked for a rookie. So the addition of Isaac Sayalalu, he's now your starting um, left guard. They added him in free agency. I think that'll be a big upgrade for them over Kevin Dotson. And I think eventually, you know, I don't know if we're going to see it in the opener, but they invested the number 14 overall pick in Broderick Jones. And I think in time, he's going to be an upgrade over left tackle Dan Moore. I just think right now, you know, Jones came out as a redshirt sophomore. There's some growing that has to take place there, some development that has to take place there before he starts. But I think the expectation is he will be a starter at some point. Um, in 2023. So when you look at it that way, yeah, I think they can develop into maybe a top 10, top 12 running team this year. That's what they want to be. That's what their identity is if, if they're playing offense the way they want to. And then, of course, just keep picking clean. You know, he had two concussions last year. The pass protection, as I mentioned, wasn't all that good. So if they can improve there as well, that'll be a big benefit for that offense as they get ready for the season. Ray Fittipaldo, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette here on KDOS AM 1060. Let's flip this to the defensive side. And the team brought in Patrick Peterson. We, of course, know Peterson in a Cardinals uniform last year in a Vikings uniform. How has Peterson looked and how will they deploy him best to help this secondary? Yeah, for right now, he is playing strictly outside corner. But there's a lot of talk that they're going to let him play with his eyes at the line of scrimmage more and maybe move into the slot. Um, at some point. We haven't seen that yet in the first three weeks of training camp, but I think you know we, we might see that here in the next couple of weeks or we might see it during the regular season. So uh, I know he was mostly an outside corner in his best years and his younger years with the Cardinals, but he might have some versatility um, now with the Steelers. And, it, you know, he, he's kind of bounced around, you know, from the Cardinals. He went to the Vikings. I thought he was okay last year. I think he had five picks, but um, he seems to be a little bit rejuvenated um, here this year. Signed a two-year contract with the Steelers. He's a mentor to young corner Joey Porter Jr., who was drafted in the second round. So I think he's been very good for that room so far, that cornerback room. And I think once the season starts, he's still got his legs. He can still run. I think he's going to be an improvement for that secondary, too. The Steelers' defense uh, allowed 16.9 points per game with T.J. Watt and 26 when he didn't play. Uh, we all know he's a difference-making player. What about his skill set makes him so unique? Well, I mean, number one, he's got a motor that doesn't stop, so you're, you're never going to outwork that guy. And uh, there's a lot of times where he just gets effort sacks because he, he's working till. Um, you know, the play's over. But above and beyond that, he's just got a great repertoire of moves. Um, you know, he could beat you with a bull rush. He can run you over, and he's quick enough. He's got a great first step that he can run around you, too. And he's got great hand usage. So I think that's really an underrated um, part of his game. So not a lot unlike his brother J.J., who I know finished his career out there. You know, J.J. in his younger years was just relentless. And, uh, you know, just had a great, uh, a great uh, pass rush plan. And I think CJ um, is the same way. So, you know, down year last year with the injuries, I know it's not what he wanted. He's healthy this year. I think you can expect to see him back up there. I'm not going to say 22 and 23 sacks the way he had in 2021, but 
he could certainly get up to 15 or 18 and get a few selfies. I want to go back to that corner room. Uh, you mentioned jo- Joey Porter Jr., obviously a rookie this season. He was dealing with a bit of an ankle injury, and so he didn't play in Friday's preseason game. But what has impressed you so far about Joey, and could we see him all over the field? Well, when he does get in there, I think you'll see him um, on the outside. I think that's where they're going to put him first, and they're, they're going to want to see him there before they you know, move him around the secondary. And, uh, you know, his training camp has been good. Got banged up a little bit last week, did not play in the preseason opener. But he's gone up against George Pickens every single day in practice. That's a matchup that Mike Tomlin wants to see. He makes it happen when they do drills. If Joey Porter Jr. is up, he'll call out George Pickens to come up and take the rep against him. So that's the kind of competition that Tomlin wants to see. So, yes, Porter's going to be a factor. Is he going to start the season opener against the 49ers? I'm not quite sure about that. They have Patrick Peterson, of course. They have veteran Levi Wallace. So I think in any scenario, Porter's going to play a lot this year. But uh, kind of like Roderick Jones, I do think at some point you'll see that rookie in the starting lineup. The Steelers did add a bunch of free agents, I believe 11 of them, including Peterson and Robinson. They had a uh, highly regarded draft class. Which newcomer or newcomers do you think will have the greatest impact this year? Well, you know, defensively, in addition to Joey Porter Jr., Keanu Benton, the nose tackle out of Wisconsin, can really help their run defense. Um, you know, he was he got banged up a little bit in that Buccaneers game, but I, you know, I think he'll be fine for for the regular season. He's got a chance to play a lot. And just to stay on the defensive side of the ball, another Wisconsin uh, Badger, Nick Herbig, um, had one and a half sacks um, against the Buccaneers on Friday night and only 13 snaps. So um, he's a guy who's been working with T.J. Watt going back to his college days. They've kind of been pen pals, uh, social media pals, so to speak, and T.J.'s been helping him out even before he got here. So those are two names to watch on defense. I know there's a you know a lot of talk about uh, – you know, rookie tight end Darnell Washington, he's going to be in the mix. He's going to be good. But it does look like they got a lot of good defensive players in this draft. Ray Fittipaldo, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette here on KDOS AM 1060. You know, from the outside, it looks like this AFC North division is really going to be quite intriguing. So can the Steelers play more than being a disruptor this season in a division that has the Bengals with their expectations, the Ravens with their expectations, and the improvement expected to come from the Browns? Yeah, listen, you know, uh, what I hear now is Joe Burrow is probably going to be healthy for the season. So can the Steelers knock off the Bengals from, from a top division? I don't know. Um, that would be a tall task. But, you know, I think could they earn a wild card ahead of the Ravens or the Browns? Sure. And could there be um, three wild cards, or excuse me, three playoff teams from the AFC North? Yeah, that's definitely – a possibility too you know i know those teams are going to be knocking each other off but uh, i think you have four very solid teams and i think with the bengals and maybe even the ravens and the steers i think you got three teams there that could you know push nine ten wins i think that division is that good so we'll see what happens but uh yeah i do think the steelers uh can definitely get back to the playoffs this year if they stay healthy Speaking of that, you know, the Steelers, they've had three head coaches since the merger, uh, 1970. Mike Tomlin's currently the league's longest 10-year head coach. 
but their last playoff win was January of 2017. Uh, three and seven in their last ten playoff games. Why have the why has there been a lack of playoff success here for the last you know you know several years now? Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to put a finger on it. The defense has given up a lot of points in those those games. You know they gave up 48 to the Browns the one year. You know the offense turned the ball over a ton in that game, so the offense didn't help out. Um, they gave up 45 to the Jaguars back in 2017. So the defense hasn't really. Um, you know, held up their end of the bargain. But I think, you know, you just got to keep knocking on the door. And I, I think if they do get back this year, again, if they stay healthy, I think it's got a chance to be um, a different story. They're built different this year. They're bigger. They're more physical. They have more quality depth across the roster if there are injuries. So this is probably potentially their best football team since that 2017 team that, that – uh, it uh, was 13 and three. Um, you know they had a couple of playoff years in between, didn't win a game, but potentially yes, this has a chance to be one of their best teams in, in quite some time. So with that in mind, here putting you on the spot over or under eight and a half wins for this year's Pittsburgh Steelers squad. I would go over. I know Vegas isn't as high on them um, as I am, but when I look at that division, I think they're right there with the Ravens. And I know there's a lot of hype around the Browns, but uh, with that franchise, it's more like I'll believe it when I see it. So they got to prove that to me. So, I, you know, I, I think I got it. The, the Bengals won, Steelers and Ravens, 2A and 2B, and then I got the Browns number four. Awesome. We always appreciate you taking your time uh, with us, and we look forward to catching up with you as the season unfolds. Thanks, Ray. Absolutely. Anytime. You're welcome. Once again, there, Ray Fittipaldo with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, we'll get into the Steelers schedule on the other side of the break and some of the things that kind of catch our attention with how that all unfolds. We'll also take your phone calls, 602-260-1060, if you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060. Uh, so Ray, though, is on the over-under 8.5 win total. He's on the over side of things, and that is one of our poll questions for today as well, kdus1060.com. 602-260-1060 is the number, Steelers schedule, and uh, some other props that have caught our attention and some other NFL news and notes as well. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports on this Monday, August 14th. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Thanks to Ray Fitopaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette joining 
us right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point talking all things Pittsburgh Steelers. And if you missed the interview, you can podcast it over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. Let's continue with some items regarding the Pittsburgh Steelers and look into this schedule construction. Potentially week one and week two could be quite challenging for the Steelers. They are both home games, but week one versus the 49ers, week two versus the Browns, then week three on the road at the Raiders, week four at the Texans, week five is their first one against the Ravens at home, and then week six is their bye. Yeah, I actually think their you know their fate can be determined in those first six games, you know, first five games of the season heading into the bye. You mentioned uh, San Francisco and Cleveland at home, uh, then at Las Vegas and at Houston. So that's kind of a if you have two road games to start the season, those aren't two bad places to start your season on the road. Then a home game against Baltimore. So they'll have already played you know their you know two of their three you know home division games by the time they get to the bye, and that's in week six. After that, though, after the bye, I think they have pretty four win, uh, four winnable games at that point at the Raiders. Excuse me, at the Rams, my bad. At the Rams, uh, Jacksonville at home. I'm not sure what I think of Jacksonville. Not as high as everybody on the NFL Network, which is pretty much seemingly every comment, every commentator and analyst they have has Jacksonville winning the Super Bowl or never losing a game this year. So they think they're great. Uh, then they play a Thursday night game against Tennessee. Then they have a, a game against Green Bay, and that's a long week after a Thursday night game. So that next pocket of games there after that first you know, five games and in the bye week, I think that's pretty winnable. However, uh, it would be nice if they could accumulate some wins before they get to the last three games of the season, which are home against Cincinnati, then at Seattle and at Baltimore. Yeah, week 16, 17, and 18, yikes. You need to definitely get your wins uh, before all of that because that is a rough stretch of concluding games. And then, of course, too, if you consider the fact that the Bengals and the Seahawks and the Ravens all are going to want to be playing very physical style of football. That's true. Certainly, uh, you know, Cincinnati would like to. I don't know if they're capable of doing that, quite frankly, so offensively. I still have questions of whether the Cincinnati offensive line is all that good other than pass protection. And they did get better at that last year, which was kind of their goal. Uh, But uh, I'm not sure about the physicality there. I'm also not sure about the physicality of Seattle. Clearly, though, Baltimore, they want to play a physical style, and that's just kind of the Harbaugh way, whether it's old man Harbaugh, who was uh, a mentor to – you know, Jack and, you know, that was Jack and then, you know, John and Jim or his sons, they all want to play. Uh, they all want, you know, line, the line of scrimmage is a big deal to them because they're kind of old time football people. Uh, you have the AFC North, the Bengals plus 150, the Ravens plus 210, the Browns plus 400, and the Steelers at plus 470. Some other numbers here. Kenny Pickett over under 3,275.5 yards minus 112. In 13 games last year, uh, he completed 63% of his passes for 2,404 yards. Najee Harris on the ground over under 925.5 yards minus 112. Last year for him, 272 carries, 1,034 yards, and seven touchdowns. 
Yeah, and uh, by the end of the season, he was losing some carries to Warren. Uh, quite a few carries to Warren. So we'll see how that breaks down. Their offensive line should be better. Uh, it got a little bit better last year. They invested, as I mentioned with Ray in the last segment, a lot of money in the offensive line before last year. You know, they've added some offensive linemen in the draft, you know, this uh, particular off uh, off season. And, uh, you know, I think at least one of those guys they'd like to see be a starter at some point, but uh, probably not ready to start in the NFL at left tackle right away. Uh, then you also have some receiving numbers here for Deontay Johnson, over under 800 and a half yards. George Pickens, over under 775 and a half yards. And we didn't talk about this guy, but he uh, certainly, they, it seems like they always have great tight ends in Pittsburgh. And Pat Fryermuth is certainly one of those, over under sitting at 600 and a half yards for him. Yeah, he's about the only guy. If you're into fantasy football, uh, you know, for me, and I, you know, I have a draft coming here, you know, Labor Day weekend. Uh, he's about the only guy that I trust on this offense, quite frankly, because I'm not exactly sure how they're going to divide the running back carries. I don't. Uh, I'm not into the, in the Penny Kenny Pickett. Is you know, I'm, a, I'm in a league where you have to take three quarterbacks, and I don't even have on my list to take. It's a thir- even a third quarterback. Because I'm not real sure what's going on there. Johnson scored zero touchdowns and 80-some catches last year. Uh, Friar Muth only had a couple of touchdowns. Uh, but at least I know what I'm getting as far as a weekly basis from yards from him. Uh, so he's the one guy that that whole group that uh, I do have a little fantasy interest in. And it's a tight end position, which is, you know, Usually not particularly deep in uh, you know, the world of, of NFL or fantasy football. So he's, I think he's uh, the most reliable guy they have offensively, or the guy at least I'm most confident in. I know it's certainly not uh, the way of the Pittsburgh Steelers, as you talked about with three head coaches since the merger, and it's not the way of moving on from offensive and defensive coordinators either. Uh, but it ha- was a bit of a surprise to me that Matt Canada returned, and I have to think that if they don't get off to a decent start, if the offense isn't really moving the ball, uh, that the pressure is really going to start mounting on whether or not he should be, be there and keep his jab. I would be shocked if he were actually, you know, fired during the season. They might change, you know, some of their position coaches and things like that. But, uh, you know, they've had, uh, you know, they don't make coaching changes uh, ever into the season, during the season, any time of the season, et cetera. Uh, so if there's any kind of change there, I think it would be, uh, you know, whoever's on staff might have some, assist, you know, they might adjust some of the responsibilities there. But uh, I would be stunned if there was you know, an immediate change during the season. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, they picked up a series win over the San Diego Padres. Uh, they'll be in Colorado, and then they'll be back next week, Monday, August 21st, as they take on the Texas Rangers. It happens to be ASU night. Fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and co-branded ASU Diamondbacks t-shirt. Visit dbacks.com slash ASU to secure your tickets. Once again, that game, Monday, August 21st, as the Diamondbacks are hosting the Rangers at 6.40 p.m. We have a four-pack of tickets right now, 602-260-1060. Caller number two is 
the winner. 602-260-1060. Go see the Diamondbacks take on the Texas Rangers and support ASU in the ASU night. Once again, that is Monday, August 21st. 602-260-1060. Caller number two. We'll get into some PGA Tour talk on the other side of the break. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. Congratulations to our winner of the four-pack of tickets to the Arizona Diamondbacks game on Monday, August 21st, as they take on the Texas Rangers for ASU night. Fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and a co-branded ASU Diamondbacks t-shirt. Visit dbacks.com slash ASU to secure tickets now. We'll have more four-packs of tickets throughout the rest of this week. As for the PGA Tour here, uh, he did it again. This is remarkable. Uh, Lucas Glover, at 43 years old, he goes on to win the Wyndham Championship last week. That win propelled him into the FedEx Cup playoffs. And what does he do? He goes out and he wins this golf tournament, the St. Jude Championship, in a playoff, defeating Patrick Cantlay. Lucas Glover, Patrick Cantlay, 15 under par. Lucas Glover parred the first place playoff hole, which they played number 18. Cantlay, he played really well on Sunday, shooting a final round six under par to get himself into that playoff. Rory McIlroy finished in a tie for third at 14 under par. Certainly, that is what uh, can be a great thing for you if you win some golf tournaments at uh, the end of the year when point values are a really, really high for FedEx Cup standings because that, like I said, he was on the outside looking in heading into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Then he goes and he wins again, and he's propelled himself all the way up to number four in the FedEx Cup standings. A brief look at things here. The top 50 in the FedEx Cup advanced to this week's BMW Championship. John Rahm remains in first in the standings. Then you have Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy. Those three were unchanged. Lucas Glover catapulting into that fourth position with his win. Five was Patrick Cantlay. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, he needed to play really well in this championship to get himself into the top 50 of the FedEx Cup. And what did he do? Well, he finished a tie for 16th, so that's good news for us because we took him in a top 20. He also finished, though, on Sunday, Eagle Birdie Par to climb into that top 50. So he'll be around for the BMW championship. Some notables as well, though. Uh, in the BMW Championship are going to have to have another really solid week. Matt Fitzpatrick sitting in 40th right now at the BMW Championship from Olympia Fields. What a great golf course that is, Olympia Fields Country Club in Olympia Fields, Illinois. Uh, it'll be 50 players competing, and then 30 will advance to the Tour Championship. With all of this said, though, Things are moving around when it comes to the Ryder Cup that's set to take place at the end of September. And now you have question marks about who do you take? Who is automatically qualified for Team USA? And do you 
think about taking a player like Lucas Glover, who is playing with such confidence. He has the hot hand. This long putter seems to be working for him. Does he deserve a spot on this Ryder Cup team? Well, he was point blank asked about it, and he said right now, yes, he does think he deserves uh, an opportunity to be a part of that Ryder Cup team. When you look at the standings, though, for Team USA, Scotty Scheffler and Wyndham Clark are officially on the U.S. Ryder Cup team upcoming here in September. Patrick Cantley vaulted himself into that third spot, and I don't know if it's officially been made official, but I think mathematically he cannot fall outside of the automatic qualifiers for the top six. So I think he is officially on the team. The number four is Brian Harmon. Number five is Brooks Kepka, and number six has vaulted himself into that position is Max Homa. Now, this gets tricky because... Like I said, the top six are automatic qualifiers. Brooks is ineligible for all of what's going on on the PGA Tour. His standing has been his performances in major championships. So if he doesn't automatically qualify in the top six, that puts Captain Zach Johnson in an interesting position about whether or not he's going to take Brooks, now a live player, and all of those dramatic conversations that are set to unfold. So it should be interesting to see see if points wise if Brooks Kepka can hang on to one of the automatic qualifying positions as it is now seventh Xander Shoffley eighth Jordan Spieth ninth Cam Young 10th Colin Morikawa 11th Keegan Bradley 12th Sam Burns and number 13 is Ricky Fowler we'll get into the Arizona Cardinals reaction from preseason game number one from Friday night as they hosted the Denver Broncos we'll do that to start hour number two of extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060